You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Family, friends, fans, and foes, it's time for once again for Never Sleeps Networks Talking Wrestling. And I'm your host, Casey Corbin. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. How are you doing in the quarantine time? How are you doing in COVID 19? Is it better than the first 18? COVID 19. How are you, folks? How are you doing at this time? Are you doing well? Are you keeping up with the social medias that we have there? Can you do us a favor? Can you help us out? Can you hit us up at Twitter on TNW Pod? Can you hit us up at uh, Facebook, Talking Wrestling? Uh, We're at Gmail, at TalkingWrestling at gmail.com. If you're on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. Give us a favorite and a favorable review. We'll send you a postcard from the 80s. Uh, A wrestler of your choice, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Maybe you want to give somebody a Valentine's Day card. Well, Greg the Hammer Valentine Day. Well, Greg the Hammer Valentine is available for Valentine's Day. Uh, that's what I tried to say there. Folks, uh, what else? Uh, check us out on Spotify. Follow us. Put us on a list. Make us popular as well. Check out uh, Casey Corbin on Spotify, the artist. I have three CDs on there you might want to check out. It's all free. Also, um, what else do we have to tell you? Where else can you find us? Uh, NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Um, I believe I told you all the places. Instagram, Never Sleeps Network Podcast. Check us out there. No, not Never Sleeps Network Podcast. Talking Wrestling Podcast on Instagram. That's the last place I had to tell you to check us out as we are there and everywhere where popular podcasts are. Um, yeah. So with that said, uh, let's get into it. This week's guest, uh, this week's show is a bit different. Um, I have my former um, comedy manager and agent, uh, Howard Wagman, on the show. He is uh, very informative about comedy. Uh, We talk about comedy. We talk about the state of comedy now and the future. Uh, We talk about Norm MacDonald quite a bit. Uh, Not so much wrestling, but we also do talk about wrestling because he's brought a lot of wrestlers into his club and through his club over the past few years including Ted DiBiase, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, the Honky Tonk Man, Jake the Snake, Mick Foley, and more. Um, So, Howard, being a wrestling fan uh, as a child by himself, uh, has decided he's come on the show to talk some comedy, talk some wrestling, and just have a talk as well because uh, we're all quarantined up, and hell, we'll talk to pretty much anybody now, won't we? (laughs) Oh, yeah, we will. So, folks... Uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, this man is uh, one of my mentors. And, uh, you know, uh, I enjoy having conversations with him. And I know you'll enjoy this. Uh, so please uh, enjoy this uh, interview uh, with a good friend of mine, uh, Yuck Yuck's manager and owner in Ottawa, Canada, Howard Wagman. So uh, take it away, Casey. Here's to you and Howie. Folks, with me at this time, uh, I wish I could say in studio, but on telephone via uh, quarantine COVID-19 rules uh, in Ottawa, definitely six feet away from me, is uh, my guest this week, uh, the manager of the Yuck Yucks in Ottawa. Not only the manager, the owner of the club, uh, basically the founder of comedy in Ottawa in itself. Uh, Howard Wagman is on the show today. Howard Wagman, thank you for joining, joining me on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Casey. It's a pleasure. Um, now, now, um, let me see. Usually, I like to ask a person, uh, "How did they get into wrestling, or when uh, did they start to watch wrestling?" But the thing is, is about you and and myself. Our history is mostly and pretty much all comedy, but we when we have had our conversations, which we've had many conversations over the years, it's been, it's actually been like. Like when I think it's been 25 years this year that I know that I've known you because I've known you since 95. 
So right. it's 25 years. I'm old. Uh, you don't age. You're the still. You still look and sound the same. I have went through many transformations. Uh, but the thing is, is um, we've always been able to talk uh, at great lengths on sports and uh, and and food. Um, those seem to be most of our conversations whenever I drop into your office uh, to uh, to uh, you know uh, just hang out and look for gigs. But um, comedy, 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 sports, food. Those are my three favorite things. Yeah, and those those are three of the easiest things to talk about. But in all my years of talking sports with you, which we mostly talk baseball and hockey and football, we've never talked wrestling because I never, ever knew that you liked wrestling until uh, recently, well, in the last couple of years, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was playing your comedy club. And after the show, you came up to him and I didn't see the Howard Wagman, the club manager, super agent that I've known all these years. I saw a wrestling fan really excited to meet Ricky Steamboat and tell him about when he was a kid. He used to go to Maple Leaf Gardens and watch Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood wrestle uh, Don, uh, Don, uh, Don, what's his name? Kinnerdal, Sergeant Slaughter and his tag team partner, Don, uh, I can never pronounce his last name. But you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, I, do. I do. So, so you you came over and told Ricky how you used to go to those matches, and I was just I loved it. I love seeing fans get excited uh, for people that they used to love or still love, and uh, that's the great thing about wrestling is wrestling. You know, even whether you fall in love with it and then you leave it, um, I still think that those wrestlers still have an effect on your life in some way or another. Uh, so can you talk about that moment? Yeah, well, no question. I mean, we've been bringing wrestlers in for the last five or so years uh, with the help of Ryan Denis, who you know, um, and uh, out of Kingston. And uh, it's, I've been getting to meet people that I grew up actually meeting for the first time at Maple Leaf Gardens on Sunday nights. I used to go there and see the matches, and my aunt and uncle were actually, they got to be friends with the guys. So we would wait for them. After they uh, they had their fights and in the uh, the back of the gardens they would come out on the Wood Street entrance if you know it um, that's where they would come out and we would get autographs and chat with them after and Steamboat was one of them Dominic Danucci Tex McKenzie Bobo Brazil the Sheik all of those guys from those days and uh, I was a huge fan as a kid so it was a thrill for me to be able to later um, book these guys in my club to do what was basically funny road stories of wrestlers uh, back in the day. And we've had, we had Steamboat, we had um, um, Jake the Snake a couple times, we had Mick Foley a few times. Uh, we actually had him booked in May, but you know that's not going to happen now, unfortunately. Um, we had uh, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Um, we, we've been really fortunate to be able to have these guys. And, and you know what? Um, oh, and Honky Tonk Man, who I really like. But the best thing about these guys is like they're they're real people, and they're great to talk to afterwards. And I just I enjoyed going out for drinks with them after, and and talking wrestling, and talking a little bit of comedy too, because they love comedy and they love what we do. Yeah, one th- yeah, that's one thing I noticed for sure uh, doing with them. And it's so funny because right now, uh, like Mick Foley was really the first guy to crossover from wrestling into touring as a comedian or as a I wouldn't actually call it a comedian I'd, I'd more spoken word more, more of a spoken spoken word performance or a one man show type thing I would say um yep. but then but then you know but Mick Foley was sort of the first guy and but he actually had a was touring on like one or two books at the time that he'd written yep. so but then when you see the other wrestlers come in, uh, some of them have taken up, like, like I Ted DiBiase's show that we did at your club was his first show ever. I did not know that. And then when I went I, I about months, uh, or maybe, maybe even six months later, I went to Detroit with Ryan, and we went down to hang out with uh, Ted DiBiase, and um, his show was much better. And I and uh, 
I said, uh, Ryan said, do you remember Casey from, from Ottawa? And he was like, oh, of course. That was my first show. And I couldn't believe that, oh, my God, I feel like, you know, yeah. I'm a part of wrestling history. You know, like yeah. I'm on the, I was on the first show. And Teddy DiBiase now is one of the, the main guys out there that are touring and doing uh, speaking engagements. But he just seemed like a, a real natural. But he's also, uh, you know, a, a pastor. So he's used to being on the mic and he's always been great on the mic and wrestling. Yeah. So I think that transponds well. Whereas Ricky Steamboat, who is also great at storytelling shows, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was great that as much as a fan you are with him, uh, there was still the, 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 the club manager in him as well. And then you told him to drop a bunch of stuff that wasn't good in his act. And he what, did. What, what did I say? What, what? You told him to Say drop. You, you told him to drop a bunch of the stuff about about the because he went on a long uh, tangent about his yeah. cars, his first car ever, yeah. and it was the fans weren't really taken to it because it's not about wrestling, and you just flat out told him that all the car stuff, drop it. Just yeah, that's what I to, do, Casey. That's what I do. You, you're <laughs> honest. You're honest. But it, but to but come to the like the next show in Toronto, which I was on it with him. Uh, he had a better, better. He had a better act because he didn't have that lull in his set that he originally had on the first show as well. So right. you know, because a lot of comics, like I know, like I'm not going to be able to tell them what's good and what's not good in their act. I'm going to be like the fanboy in me just wants everything to be good, right? And yeah. uh, so, so it's good to see that you can still be yourself and give some constructive criticism because. You know, as great as these guys are as professional wrestlers, they're not all natural-born public speakers, you know? That's right. And That's right. you raise natural-born public speakers for, for a living. Like, you've been doing it for, you know, 36 years. Yep, longer, actually, but 36 years in Ottawa. In yeah. Ottawa, in Ottawa. Um, yeah. who, are you, who are some of the favorite uh, talents – that you that have come out of the club that you have uh, helped groomed and helped brought to the the bright lights of the stage uh, and and onward. Who are your some of your favorites over the years uh, coming out of Ottawa? Well, I think both your favorite and my favorite comedian in the whole wide world, Norm Macdonald, right? Oh boy, do I! Well, I've always loved Norm. He's like a long like the whole reason, Howard. I went to Yuck Yucks was there was an article in the Ottawa... I moved to Ottawa to go to school. I didn't know there was a Yuck Yucks in Ottawa. I'm a small-town kid. And uh, there was an article about Norm Macdonald being the weekend update on Saturday Night Live. And at the end of the article, it plugged Yuck Yucks New Talent Night. And it had the address and the phone number and the instructions on how to call and be a part of it. And yep. that's where I saw... The, that's where I first got the idea to go to Yuck Yucks. Reading an article about I heard Norm. that. I've heard. I've heard you tell that story, and it it really makes me feel good to hear it. Well, it just you know, and it, and then you know, to to come full circle in that story where uh, two years ago I finally get to work a weekend with Norm in Calgary, Alberta, and yeah. um, you know, he says to me first thing he says to me is like, "Are you from Calgary?" I said, "No, I'm from outside of Ottawa." He said, "Where?" And I said, "Iron Prior." And he's like, oh, my God, my, my parents met in Iron Prior. And then he goes, so where'd you do comedy? I'm like, Ottawa. And he's like, oh. And then he took to me immediately, and we spent the weekend just, I would just ask him all the stories that I've heard. I said, can I ask you which of these stories are true and which of them are not? And I gave him about 10 different norm stories I heard over the years. And yeah. he would embellish me. He would He would enlighten me on what was true and what was not true. And what, you know, like one of the ones I asked him about was, one night, I remember Jeremy Hotz told me a story about, and you were there, and about him hiding up in the roof with a Jason mask while Norm was yep. on stage. And I yep. brought that one up with Norm, and he he was really smiling and laughing about it. And he was like, "Yeah, that's a that's a true one." And then turns out all the Stan Thompson ones have really been embellished. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah. but it's uh, I just find it cool now that like. I'm not going to say Norm's my friend, but um, he's definitely, I've over the last two years, I've worked with him several times, and he remembers who I am, 
and uh, I, you know, I can text him now, and he usually gets back, and it's just a really cool thing. Like he's, you know, he's my, you know, he's he's. Look, I always look at it this way: Hulk Hogan got me into wrestling, but Bret Hart was the wrestler that I absolutely loved the most. And I feel right. in comedy, Eddie Murphy got me into stand up, but Norm Macdonald is my comedy hero. And right. um, yeah, so what was it like with with him in the early days? Like, because well, Norm Norm started at the club one year after we opened, nineteen eighty five, and um, he came to the club one night on the amateur night and went up and did an amazing bit about the political scene at the time with Ed Broadbent and, uh, and John Turner. And he did all the impressions and it was the three leaders of the three parties back in, in grade school. And it was a superbly written bit. I won't do it because it's too long, but he, he finished the set. He thought he did poorly. I was floored. I mean, I remember, you know, it's one of those moments in your life where you remember exactly where you were standing and in your mind's eye, you remember the whole experience. And I, I couldn't believe what I was watching, how good this person was first time ever on stage. He leaves the club thinking he bombed. I literally had to chase him down the street saying, oh, my God, where are you going? And he said, what are you talking about, man? And I said, that was incredible. you got to come back. And I want you to come back every night. And he was blown away that I thought that. Yeah. And and he he honestly had no idea how good he was or how good he could be. And we started to hang out every single day and every single night because comedy was my life. And uh, the 80s, mid-80s was like the comedy boom of all comedy booms. And the most creative stuff was going on behind the scenes. It was Woodstock. It was Woodstock of comedy. And Norm was right in the middle of it. And he just got better and better. And he, he was on every single night at the club and kept working out his material. And then when he moved to the States, he was already, you know, brilliant. So he took them by storm. When he got down there, he immediately started getting opportunities. You know, he started writing on Roseanne and all those other shows. Yeah. He got, he got SNL. Um, he just took off his, you know, because he's brilliant. He's fabulous. Yeah, it's, it's quite uh, amazing. Like, we, um, like, last last uh, last November was the last time I saw him, and uh, he went up there, and he had all this material on, I can't remember what it was about, but it was everything that was really current and current and happening. And it was, like, so current that it's, like, it had to be new. And we said, when did you write all that stuff? And he's like, oh, that's, that, that's all new. He's like, that's the first time I did it. And it was already perfect. Like, it was just so, it was so, you know. And then there are times where it amazes me where I talk in my act about having a middle middle child complex in my Halloween joke. And uh, he came up to me afterwards. He goes, hey, is that middle child thing, is is that a real thing? And I said, yeah, it's totally a real thing. And I said, are you a middle child? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, "You ever feel like you weren't wanted, and you're your second, second best or third best?" He's like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "Yeah, that, that, that's that's a that's a thing." <laughs> so that's interesting because his older brother is uh, quite well known. Yeah, it's Peter um, or Neil, Neil, Neil McDonald, Neil McDonald. Neil, yeah. yeah, he was with CBC for many many years, and um, you know, Norm was never. I never thought he was in his shadow, but I guess he felt that way. Well, it's so funny that uh, you know, like, like uh, that Norm's brother is like the White House correspondent for Canada for CTV and everything like that, and and Norm has also played the White House dinner, <laughs> you know, yes. like, like that's the best gig in well, not the best, maybe the worst gig in comedy, but you know, uh, the best names always get it. Um, I are, often... you, are you watching? Are you watching his Instagram stuff where he phones famous people? Yes. Yes. It's hilarious. It is. It is. It is it's hilarious. I loved when he had Roseanne on. Um and uh, Bob Saget was great. Uh yeah, yeah it's just great cuz it's just like you know, he wants to do, I think he wants to do more on Instagram, but it's just uh you know, it takes time to figure out yeah. what to, what to do exactly. Um yeah. you know, I, I wish he would have kept his show on YouTube. 
instead of like I know the jump yeah. to Netflix was money and and attractive and it made it better, but it, I don't know. There's something about the um, you know like watching him and Jim Carrey sit together and talk yeah. about Wayne Fleming really really oh. makes oh yeah touches my heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, you, you know, and uh, and uh, and and they did it. And it's just like here are the two. Of the biggest names to ever come out of Canada in comedy, I know, and yucks, and just like, you know, it's just like look at these two guys now, and they're 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 comedy icons, you know, and it's just so great. And Norm is like so underrated too. Like when you watch him on Comedians in Cars, it's it's so familiar that Jerry Seinfeld is not familiar with Norm Macdonald or his work. Because he right. doesn't see any of the punchlines coming, and they're all right. so norm. Like if you know norm, yeah. you, you can see it. Especially the Bill Cosby jokes, Seinfeld had no yeah. idea where they were coming from. And right. to see to see him be able to pop Seinfeld so easily, who, who's I don't think a very good people person or a very likable person. Um, you know, it's just it just shows you how great Norm is. But, yeah. you know, who else besides Norm? So there's obviously Norm. Well, you mentioned Jeremy Hotz already. I mean, Fantastic. He's, still, he's still big, right? I yeah. Mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if he's megastar, but uh, he's got a huge fan base. And Jeremy was on our first ever show when we opened March 15, 1984. He was standing there waiting in the cold when Mark Breslin and I rolled up to the Beacon Arms Hotel. <laughs> it was all he wanted. It was all he ever wanted. And he went on the first show and every show for close to a year and a half and kept working on new characters and getting better and better. And all he wanted was to be a star. That's crazy. And you know what? Yeah. He, he, is a, he is a star. Oh, he is, definitely is a star. He definitely is a star. You know, like, he, you know, he is, I'm sure he does very well. And being a road comic in America is not like being a road comic in Canada, you know. Uh, being a road comic in America, you can be a self-made millionaire if you want to do yeah. it. It's oh yeah, he fills he fills theaters. I mean, he fills the Casino Rama. He fills the uh, National Arts Center. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's done many specials, and he's got a, an enormous fan base. People who like he's got he's got this quality about him that he's a lot of people's favorite comedian because he's he's unique, um, and he stumbled. He stumbled on a lot of characters before he came up with this one, this miserable guy. Yeah, he used to be a really, like, he used to, what would you say he was early, he was influenced by Mike McDonald? Because he did a lot of act-outs, did he not, very early on? A lot of physical comedy, which uh, he probably did get influence from Mike. Um, By the way, that, he needs to be mentioned, Mike McDonald. He's the king of Canadian comedy, and... You know, every he's a household name, and he is is the equivalent to the Bill Cosby in Canada. I would say, you know, without the without the rape, without, without the, the rape, rape yes. <laughs> but you know, Mike, and, yeah, yeah, Mike, and, Mike, and, a, Mike, and a beautiful story, like the arc of his is. story, uh, people don't appreciate. Was I honestly felt like he felt like he had to, he felt like he had to make it in America so badly. And it never happened, it never happened, it never happened. He had all the chances. And then in the end, uh, he comes. He gets sick and then he comes home. And a whole country that loves him so much raises all this money just for him because they love him. And yeah. that to me is whether or not you think you made an impact in your life on the people that you perform for. He, he obviously did. When a whole country comes together and raises, you know, almost a hundred thousand dollars for him on a GoFundIt, like that is a beautiful story, and uh, someday I hope it, it's told. But uh, you know, on a more well, it was told. It was told. Oh, excellent! I I, I haven't seen the documentary yet. I don't know where it is, but I know there was uh, it, a documentary. It, it never, it never got. It never got aired anywhere publicly. Unfortunately, Brendan Mertens uh, did the movie, uh, the mic stand. And I don't know where you're going to find it, but it was done. It was done. Yeah, because I know, I remember that I saw the trailer, and the trailer is fantastic. Yeah. And it's got a- Andy Kindler in it and Mark Maron. Yep. And, yep. and Mark Maron, what a great, great guy. Yep. Like, 
I remember one year, it was the year that he returned to Just for Laughs, but he was very sick, and he did a gag. Well, he It was going to be a gag where Howie Mandel was on stage, and he came out in a wheelchair, and then he was going to stand up. And yeah. But when he came out in the wheelchair, the theater, the people, especially in Montreal, who love him probably more anywhere else, like anywhere else, um, they all started to cry, and because yeah. it's not Mike the Mike McDonald they've seen year after year for twenty six yeah. years, and yeah. uh, you know these. Let's face it, the festival wouldn't even be existing without Mike McDonald in the, in the first That's fifteen right. years. They, that That's he was right. all on his back. So he was, you know, five years in a row he was at that festival. Yeah, five years in a row. Never, and it will never be. That's a record that will never be uh, replaced. So, so he was telling us that night about how the the gala went. He said the minute he got out there and he saw the people crying, he looked at how he's like, "I'm not standing up. Just I'll take a nod and wheel me off." <laughs> so yeah, he, he canceled the gag because he didn't think he thought didn't yeah. want the backlash. And as he was telling us this story, you know, it's just a group of Canadian comics hanging around with Mike at the at the Just for Laughs. And then Mark Marin is walking by him, and he stops his posse, and he goes, hold on a second. And then he goes, Mike. And then Mike goes, oh, hey, Mark. And they embrace, and, he, and then they catch up for a second. And it was really, really nice watching Mark Marin, who's one of the top comics in the world at that time, just, you know, stop. And give Mike, you know, five minutes of time to see how his buddy's doing, and you see they go a long way back, and yep. uh, it was just, uh, it was a really nice moment to see, you know. There's a there's a real brotherhood in this business, uh, and and an enormous respect. And I'll tell you one thing about stand-up comedians: none of them are pretentious. They're all real people, and that's what I love so much about them, and that's why they're all my friends. Because they're real people. There's no, there's no airs. They don't put on airs. It's, yeah, they try to make each other laugh, but it's, it's, it's a fraternity. That's an unspoken thing. It's hard for people to understand that because they think laugh, clown, laugh. That's how comics are, but they're really not. They're, I mean, most comics off stage are very serious people, and they're very connected to each other because they all do this one thing, and it's, it's phenomenal to watch and just to hang out with these people. And Mike would come to the club. This was in the last year before he passed. And almost every single night I'd say to him, you want to go on? No, I'm just here to watch. And he really was, he was just there to watch and he wanted to teach and he wanted to even learn a little bit from the new young people. Yeah. It was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It was really at the end, uh, you know, he was really respected by all the comics in Canada because there was a time when I first got in there and I was coming up you know I remember when I went to work with him I was very nervous about it because I had heard numerous horror stories about working with him and through comics and stuff like that but I went I did my set uh I did not talk to him before the show then after the show he waved me over to the booth uh we sat down um, I knew he liked the Beatles and the Simpsons, so I asked him about those things, and we talked straight for three hours straight. And we didn't even move yep. out of the booth. And, yep. If, and he, if he likes you, you're if you're in, you're in. He won't let you go. <laughs> yeah. He, and, lo- he loves to talk. Yeah, and he's and he's great. He was, you know, even his last couple of years, you know, like came out to Iron Pryor and did a show for me. Very, very kind to do that. You know, like yeah, it's a big deal when you can bring. You know, a guy with six or seven specials under his belt that everybody knows. Yeah. So, you know, and uh, they're kind of like the comedy icons. Again, they're a lot like wrestling icons. You know, they have the people remember them and they want to meet them. They want a picture with yep. them. They want, you know, like uh, I got a chance to hang out with Tom Green a little bit. Another great Ottawa comic to There's come out of your one. club. There's another one. You know, another yep. one. That, and not only that, as far as comedy goes, uh, you know, uh, an OG, as they call it, uh, a pioneer. Like, he's somebody who yep. completely took comedy, not necessarily stand-up, but comedy in general, and flipped it upside down and then back up front again. And, he did. you know, like, because there was no jackass before Tom Green. That's um, right. They, they none stole of that. From him. He they was, stole from him. They all took it from him. They all did, and yep. they all admit it. You know, even Joe Rogan, who is the number one podcast in the world now, 
said he went to 2007, he went to Tom Green's house, and Tom Green was yep. doing a show out of his house, and he looked at all this equipment, he was like, fuck, this is, what, this is the future, this is what we got to do, and now he's got the top podcast that he's running, $30 million a year, yep. you know, Tom Green is still killing it all over the world, you know, and it's just like, Ottawa, especially in the 90s when we came out, it was a really good time to come up, because whether or not you know it, all the comics I came up with, uh, I would say 80% of us ended up on television doing comedy. And this isn't in the 80s boom. This was in the 90s. Like, And I think that's a testament to the talent level that was in Ottawa at the time because it was it was tough. Like, It was tough to get stage time considering yep. people don't realize that there's only one stage, one club, one spot a week. That was it. This is what coming up in the 90s was. This was before open mics were a thing. Uh, you know, and uh, if you got the stage time, you were lucky. Like when I tell people I had to leave, I had to leave class, go walk down a hall, go to a pay phone, get a quarter, and constantly put it <laughs> in and dial the number and hopes to yeah. get in like a radio contest. You know, yeah. like that was... Uh, <laughs> It was it was it was fun, but and again at the same time when people are like, "Oh, you couldn't just email," I'm like, "No, no, there was no email." So right. it uh, you know it builds character because I know people now that would be, Ugh, "I don't really want to do it," but um, you know I think uh, it builds character. But uh, so many of us got specials, and I don't know. I always looked at comedy. I always looked at it like wrestling because I could never wrestle because I'm I'm not physically strong enough to wrestle. But um, I, I couldn't endure the pain. That's what would bother me. But um, right. as far as building a set, I always thought it was very similar. Like if a wrestler has a six-minute spot on TV, they're going to build it like a showcase set. You know, They're going to start off quickly, and they're going to end with their best move. And right. uh, you're going to put a hold on in the middle and keep it on them till the crowd gets behind you to close. So, right. you know, it's just like I find the two – things are very parallel in uh universes like and they cross over all the time like since andy kaufman you know yep uh yep. who was brilliantly in both comedy and uh, wrestling um i really thought that you know he did both so well and then there were you know over time comedy would be be included to be a part of wrestling where now there are comedic wrestlers that make a career out of being funny, like a, a guy like Santino Morella, uh, who I don't know if you've had, but you could probably book him. No, we have, but I, I, I we could. Yeah, he is, uh, and he's great. So, especially if he's staying in character, if he's doing Santino Morella, it's fantastic. And he is also a very, very, very nice guy. I haven't really met an asshole wrestler yet. Um, you know, and also, uh, it's the same for them to go to the States, too. They have to go through a long process yes. to get their visa. And, like, there was a guy by the name of Josh Alexander, and he'd sank $3,000 into his and then was denied halfway through. So that's a real bummer. But he's now wrestling in Impact, and he's holding the tag titles with uh, all-ego Ethan Page from Hamilton. So he's uh, he's actually on TV now, and he's doing all right. But, um, you know, I think it's great that you do – have so many uh wrestlers i've never seen the honky tonk man so i'm excited to see him what a great guy he is yeah i've, been, I've probably spent more time with him uh than any of the others because he's an amazing guy he only does this because he wants to put his daughter through vet school oh through through what kind of school vet, veterinary school. oh through veterinarian school she wants to be a veterinarian yeah and and he doesn't make a lot of money. I mean, you know, he's not a wrestler anymore. He's 60-some years old. But uh, he, he started to, to hone this act so that he could make enough money to put her through school. That was his reasoning. And uh, I try to help him as much as I possibly can. And I, I just I really enjoy spending time with that guy. Well, he looks good, too. Like, he, he, like when he puts on the suit, he still fills it well. And he still looks good. I've watched uh, some tapes of him recently. And, you know, he he looks... He, sometimes you see these wrestlers, they don't look anything like they've ever looked. But luckily, the ones that you've all dealt with all look like themselves, you know? Like, 
Uh, <laughs> you know, Ted DiBiase is just a bull. You don't realize how big some of these guys are. I know. Like I, know. Ricky Steamboat was what I thought he would be. Like, you know, our size, like our re- regular person size. I yeah. did not think that Ted DiBiase was going to be that big until you saw how wide he is, and it's like, holy shit, yeah. he's 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 big. Um, Mick Foley, Mick Foley barely fit in my car. Mick Foley is a guy who now I can see why he fits so well with the Undertaker because I never thought he was that big, and then you see how big he is. Like I've got a picture with him, and he makes me look tiny, which I like. But yeah. you know, I'm not tiny. I'm over 300 pounds and six feet tall. So you know, it's uh, it's ridiculous. But um, he paid the price. He paid the price. You try to shake Mick's hand, and it's it's he doesn't his hand is not normal. You oh know, no, he's, he's he's paid the price for for his pain. Yeah, you he he cannot tie his own shoes. Like he has trouble yeah. putting on his shoes. Uh, you know, it's amazing. Like he hobbles around everywhere, but then when you hit his music, the hobble disappears until he gets on stage, and then he can basically, you know, but. Watching that hobble, how he can shake it off for yep. the crowd, and then yep. you know walk that aisle to his music. And I saw first time I saw him was at Just for Laughs on the midnight show, and the place was packed. And when they heard like his music hit, I looked at the back, and all of a sudden he's coming in from the back up the aisle up the center. And uh, you know I had goosebumps. There's something about yeah. seeing an artist. See, this is the great thing about comedy is. You can go to a stand-up show in a stand-up club, and you can see an artist that you truly admire and love in a clo- in a clo- very close environment. That's yeah. what's great about stand-up, and that's what we're going to have to figure out after this COVID thing ends. Like, how can we keep this without not having it, you know? But um, but the thing is, is you, I think it's the exact same in wrestling, you know? And, uh, and But wrestling is working right now. I don't know if you've seen it, but they're doing a lot of empty house shows. And, yeah. uh, oh, they're like some of the gigs I've had out West. Uh, there's nobody there. And, uh, you still have to go through with the show because the boss is crazy. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, but, um, it's the, it's definitely the business is taking a, uh, a dip. That's for sure. Yeah, it's really unfortunate, and I worry about what's going to happen when we do come back, and we're going to be one of the last businesses to come back. Well, but when, when it, we're going to get social distancing, and we're going to have to cut capacities, and I, I don't know how this is going to affect the whole thing. Well, here's what I've now I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, I think what the clubs are going to have because I think some clubs, I'm worried about some clubs, especially if it goes a year. Uh, because it's a long time to to pay rent and not have any income, and uh, you know I know a lot of clubs will be okay, but you know it's it's interesting and it, but I think what I would do is okay. So let's say you know the club holds two hundred people, but now you're only going to have you're only going to be able to have forty people in there because it's only going to be fifty including staff. So. 10 people of your staff, I would figure. Maybe even six you could get away with. But you'd have to have... And then you'd have to have it spaced out properly so where 40 people could sit. But the thing is, is I think when people are going to start going out, they're going to want to go out and they're going to want to spend and it's not going to matter what. So now that there's only 40 seats in a comedy club, I consider them a premium ticket. for, And I consider any live event no longer to just be taken for granted. Because right. we've lost them, and now if you want them back, you're gonna to have to pay for them. So now we can double. Oh, yeah. them. We can, and plus you're gonna to have to make your money, Howard. So you're gonna to have to double the money, at least double it. And the thing is, is is it doubles, and then also I would bring in, uh, because now of this new COVID uh, environment, more people are on the internet now than ever. So now is a good time to introduce, you know, a streaming platform where. Once a week, this is the show you've subscribed to, and then on Friday night at this time, it's live and you watch it at home, as if you're sitting in the club. And it's just one camera. Yeah. 
And that's what you yeah, do. We, and you sell that for ten dollars. And you yeah, get all we these people that. and you get all these people to watch it at home. And that's where your audience is going to come from, as well as the 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 premium club buyers that are going to go there uh, to see it live. And I think that way, it it, it might work, um, you know. But uh, but we'll see. Time time will tell. So, but that's that's what I would do if I had a club, and uh, you know, and especially work on that because rooftop comedy tried it before doing show, but nobody cared. Nobody cared, but now that people can't go to comedy clubs because there's only 40 tickets, but they still want to see this great act and they can watch it live on the on the internet, they'll do yeah. that. I think I'm pretty sure they would. So uh, it's all uncharted territory, and I hope you're right about that because um, you need an audience because you've seen all this Zoom crap. It's just so bad. Yeah, it doesn't matter how good the comic is; he they look bad in their living room by themselves. Yeah, sketch comedy is. Is sketch comedy can do without an audience, uh, but you can't do stand up without an audience. There's no, no there's no. no way because the the thing about stand up is is every action you do or everything you say is built for an immediate reaction by an audience. That's if there's right. no reaction, how do you gauge whether it's good or not? And That's it's right. very similar it... with wrestling. Because wrestling, yeah. everything they do from the entrance to the walk, to the looks, to is is built on an audience reaction, and yep. so it's difficult for them to do it without the audience reactions because they're not there. But AEW does a better job because they send out their wrestlers, and they say their wrestlers are scouting matches, or they're betting on matches, or they're just having a good time, and just by having those wrestlers around the ring, ooing and awing on big spots, it makes a difference, and. Uh, it's just too bad the WWE fails to see this. So right. Um, yeah. Now, who do you? So Honky Tonk, if things pick up by fall, is he there in October? He's supposed to be. So let's hope best for that, because uh, that will be great. And Mick will obviously be um, will be rebooked as as well, right? Well, he is rebooked for September fourteen and fifteen already. But again, uh, here's here's the thing. I haven't yet talked to him about um, most of these acts get most of the door, right? That's how it works. Yes. So I'm one by one approaching them and seeing if they still want to do it because the door is not going to be what it was. Yeah. Um, And I'm dealing with mostly Americans on these deals. And it's funny because to show you the difference between the way Canada looks at this, this emergency and the way the U.S. does. I've spoken with three different agents that I have clients booked for this year. And I've told them, we're going to have to suspend this because you've got a door deal. Because your acts are not going to make the money they were told they were going to make. And they're saying, okay, that's fine. Let's just rebook it for 2021. And I'm, I'm surprised that they say that. They don't realize that in 2021, we're not going to have full capacity. They no. think we will. Yeah. So it's a very different way that they look at it on the other side of the border. Yeah, they just think they just think they can um like they're already opening up. They've already opened up Florida and states have already opened up and uh I guess their plan is just to live with it, you know, just to like the, I, I, I believe still Chris Christie just said people are going to die. He just said that, yeah. you know. But we're still going to go on with everyday life cuz they're more important to them. It seems like they're choosing the economy rather than the people. Yeah. And that's a really sad, scary uh, thing that the, the WWE hall of fame uh, member, Donald Trump is doing, you know, yeah. uh, you know, so it, it's uh, it, it, when he suggests bleach and, 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 uh, and lights and like just tanning beds and stuff like that. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I know mean, he said he was kidding, but I no, he wasn't. I saw the I saw the uh, the interview where he was saying we where he's saying to the professionals, "Have we looked into injecting bleach?" And and he was serious, and they're like, "Yes, yes, we've looked into it." Like, oh my god, the, I I can't imagine what the people around him must be thinking, must be like, and you know, uh, I don't think he asks. 
most most presidents have advisors that they don't say a word without them. I think he says whatever he feels like saying. He doesn't care what they tell him to say or not to say. No, and that's his problem. Like that's what because he loves like he loves being on the mic and he loves uh, entertaining a room. Um, you know, like he. Uh, I don't think he loves being president, but he loves campaigning, and I think he just wants this to be done so he can get on the road and campaign and do what he does best, which is, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, he seems to have fun and has a, does a good job campaigning. So, you know, I just think uh, this is all just a big headache on him. And I just hope Americans will, will realize that he's not doing the best job. And maybe next year you might want to elect somebody who's better prepared for something like this. So yeah, but about about half of them think he is doing a great job. That's so crazy. It li- it literally yep. is two countries down there. Like it's it is that it is that crazy. Like it's just like you know where you know I know a few Trump supporters. They don't talk publicly about anything. They just keep their mouths shut and their heads down. Yeah, because they're embarrassed. Aren't they, they are embarrassed. They are because in America the people tend. Politics is like sports. Once you're with the team, you can't seem to leave it, you know. And like that's the, the gun control, the gun control thing that's going on right now, and Trudeau uh, saying you can't have assault rifles anymore. Yes, there's a few people that are on my friends list that I'm shocked, shocked that are saying stuff about, um, well, how come we didn't get to vote on this? Um, and they're comparing <laughs> it to getting to, to having a truck license. Yeah. How come we didn't get and to now, go vote on this? It's like, are you in the House of Commons? Like, you're not. Listen. Like, there are votes on it, and people did vote on it, and it's gone. It's done. Like, you know, there's. But they, but they, but they try to defend it and say that we use these for target practice. Okay. Yeah. I think you can use other guns for target practice. Yeah. And and, and, and Jim Jeffries, I was watching his, his uh, bit on gun control today. Amazing. Because of it. And it's amazing. Yeah. And he says, you know, there's only one reason to allow these guns, and that's because you like them. Don't don't try to hide it by saying I'm using it for protection or uh, I use it at the rifle range. All all of those things are bullshit. If you're using it for protection, you've got it locked up somewhere, and you got to keep the uh, uh, the ammunition separate. So somebody breaks into your house, and and you say, oh, hang on just a minute. Uh, with this trying to murder me, what was the combination again for the the guns, honey? It's like that. Yeah. You know, nobody can say I'm using my gun for a purpose. It's not for a purpose because they like guns. No, exactly, exactly. That and that's it, one hundred percent. Like, if you like guns, just say you like guns. I like yeah. shooting guns. There's no, there's nothing wrong with it. I like shooting guns. It doesn't mean that I need a, you know, a semi-automatic assault rifle. Nobody does. Nobody, Nobody does. Nobody does. Nobody. You know what? Like, like it's a, like uh, I, my buddy Tommy Campbell constantly says to people online, "Get a better hobby. You get you need a yeah." When they, and that's his argument to all, the whole their whole argument is like, no, no, get a better hobby. But we could shoot them at the ranges before. Okay, that's great. But now you can't. So get a better hobby. You know, take up or, archery or use the or, or use the guns that you're allowed to use. Plenty of guns. There's still plenty of yeah. guns available that are great. Watch to shoot. that. Watch that Jim Jeffries thing tonight if you get a chance. Okay. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it countless times, okay. and I've, I've seen him uh, live three times. And to, well, Tommy Campbell opens up for him everywhere in Canada. So I've been fortunate enough to get to hang out with him and and. Uh, that gun bit is like he's famous for it. Like people call yeah. him the gun guy, which he doesn't like yeah. being called. But it's the end. He should be the anti-gun guy, you know. Yeah. So, but it, it is absolutely brilliant because he breaks it down where you can't even argue with it. It's just sound logic. So you know, yeah. and uh, it's it's a beautiful piece of uh, of art as well as comedy. Uh, and at the end, at the end, he talks about the fifty percent of you really agree with me, and then the other fifty percent don't. But out of that fifty percent that don't, twenty percent of you are like, okay, so he makes some good points, but I still feel that uh, my gun position is correct. 
And then there's another 20% that are kind of looking at the chandelier in the theater, trying to not listen to me. And then there's the other 10% that are furious. <laughs> yeah. Those people are pissed at me. Yeah. Those are the ones I worry about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The ones that you know, that don't say shit, that are just like, sit there in anger. So funny. Angry. Angry. Yeah. Yeah. So great. Uh, that's it, Howie. We've done it. We've come to a full episode. Of all time, who's your favorite wrestler of all time? Wow, that's a tough one because I like the little guys that uh, could do stuff like Steamboat. But, again, without knowing what you know about wrestling, I like Mancini. Who's Mancini? Uh, Ray. Ray. What's his name? Ray? Ray Boom Boom Mancini? He's a boxer, is he not? The guy, no, the sorry, Ray Ray Mysterio. Oh, Ray Mysterio. I like him. Yeah, he's I like fantastic. Him. The guy, he, the the flips he could do and the over the top rope and all that stuff. And he's, I'm a little guy, so I, I always cheer for the little guy. And not only that, he is like the 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 pioneer of the modern wrestling that is today, because uh, he's very old. He's he, the mask doesn't age, but he's he's up there in age and. Uh, and he's been doing it a very long time. Like, I have wrestling magazines from 1989 that compare him and Shawn Michaels together. So, oh my God, that's 30 years of wrestling. Of, of, he's my favorite. He's the one I like the best. He's fantastic. A great choice. Uh, thank you for joining us on Talking Wrestling and Comedy uh, today. Um, a lot of fun, Howard. Thanks for being on. And, uh, I love you, Casey. And I love you. Stay home, stay safe, and uh, stay healthy. And uh, to you out there in the audience land, thanks for letting us put a headlock in your ears, and we'll talk to you next week on Never Sleeps Network, Stock and Wrestling. Thank you. We're out of here. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.